Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, Andrew will be sharing about the importance of having a biblical worldview. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Friday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today is the end of my third week of teaching on what I've entitled Biblical Worldview Foundation Truths. And this is a video series that we've put out. It's different than my normal teaching because I'm bringing in all kinds of quotes, illustrations, statistics. My media department has supported this with all of these facts and things that I'm talking about. And I think that this is going to be tremendous. I think it's going to change a lot of people's lives. Next week will be the end of this series. So uh, just one more week of this, I encourage you to please go to the effort of getting this. This is not only designed to touch you and equip you, but also enable you to be able to share your faith with other people, to give a defense of the faith that you have. So watch this, and I'll come back at the end of today's broadcast. So this is our fourth part in a biblical worldview, and actually it's part two when I started talking about the true nature of God. And I've given a lot of information. We spent over an hour on that first part, but we ended up talking about that until the Lord could come and set us free from the bondage of sin and we could become born again and have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us, God had to do something to restrain the amount of sin that was in the earth And that's why He gave the law. And a misunderstanding of this has really changed people's opinion of what God is like. When people understand the Old Testament law that says, if you do this, I'll smite you with this. It was punishment. It was rejection. And it causes many people to think that God is this harsh, angry God that is just... I actually had one man say that he saw God as an old man with a long beard leaning over a banister in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand, just ready to get you the first time you get out of line. And some people get that opinion. And you know what? They get it because of the way that God was so harsh on sin in the Old Testament. But in the previous segment, I built up to this and showed you that the Lord for 2,000 years after Adam and Eve sinned, did not impute man's trespasses unto them. Let me read this to you in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 13. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. The word impute is an accounting term to mean to hold against you, to record against you, to write on the books. God wasn't holding people's sins against them until the law came. He was being merciful. And if you'll just stop and think about it, think about the people in the Old Testament, such as Abraham. Did you know that in Leviticus chapter 18, there's all kinds of restrictions on sexual conduct in Leviticus chapter 18. And one of them is that if you married a half-sister, the daughter of your father, whether it was by your physical mother or whether it was another woman or not, You could not marry a half-sister, and if you did, you had to be put to death. Did you know that Abraham married a half-sister? Sarah was his half-sister. And if the law would have been in effect, 
instead of Abraham being the friend of God, he would have had the punishment. It says there in Leviticus chapter 18 that if a person commits any of these sexual sins, they have to be cut off. And if you look that up, there's a number of places that the word cut off, I think Exodus chapter 31 verse 14, it uses in the same sentence, it says to cut off means to kill. And if you committed any of these sexual sins, you had to be put to death. And yet Abraham was married to a half-sister, and instead of death coming upon him, he was called the friend of God. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, married two women that were sisters while the first one was still alive. That was a, a violation of the law in Leviticus chapter 18. And, and uh, Jacob should have been put to death, and yet he wrestled with God, with an angel, and the angel actually changed his name to Israel, and he became the father of all the Israelites. There was a mercy and a grace on people under the Old Testament before the law was given that you don't see once the law was given. For instance, the very first person who sinned after Adam and Eve's transgression is in Genesis chapter 4, and you find that's Cain and Abel. And they go out, and Cain actually kills Abel. And I won't go through the whole story. I'm sure most of you know it. But Cain killed Abel, and as a result, God appeared to him, and there were consequences to his sin. He said, the earth's not going to yield its fruit to you. You're going to be a vagabond and you're going to wander the earth. And Cain says, my punishment is greater than what I can bear. And he said, every person that hears about this is going to seek to kill me. And so God put a mark on Cain. And he says, if anybody avenges Cain or kills Cain in an effort to avenge Abel's death, I will avenge Cain's death sevenfold. And so the very first murderer on the face of the earth, God didn't approve of what he did, but he didn't bring his judgment and his punishment and all of these things that we see under the Old Testament law. But once the Old Testament law was given, the very first person to bring the Old Testament law was a man who went out and violated the instructions about the Sabbath. And you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And this man went out and just gathered some sticks so that he could make a fire and cook him some food. And because he gathered sticks to make a fire, they shut him up to the, where they could hear from God. And God said, show him no mercy. And they put him to death. They stoned him to death. Can you see that there was a difference between the way that God dealt with sin before the law came and the way God dealt with sin after the law. And sad to say, most people haven't seen this, and so they just take the way that God was punishing and harsh with sin in the Old Testament law, and they think that that was the true nature of God. No, the true nature of God is that He didn't impute man's sins unto them. That's exactly what it says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 13. Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. God was using people like Noah. It says Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. He didn't find justice. Noah, it says, was a righteous man, but he was righteous relative to other people. He was righteous because he put faith in God and God gave him righteousness. It even says that about Abraham, that in Genesis chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. These people weren't perfect, and yet God dealt with them in mercy. But when the law came, there was judgment. There was harshness released. 
And sad to say, people think that the reason God gave the law is to show us exactly what we had to do. And if we didn't keep it, then the wrath of God was coming upon us. The real reason that God gave the law was because we had taken God's lack of punishment upon our sin, lack of rejection for our sin as approval. And because of it, sin was just escalating in the human race at a a phenomenal pace. You can turn over to Genesis chapter 4, and for time's sake, I'm just quoting these things. They'll put them up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 4, you find Cain's great, great, great grandson who was named Lamech. And Lamech is the first man who had two wives. And Lamech went out and killed a man. And in the King James, it's real awkward the way it says it. But if you look it up in any other translation, he says, I have killed a man in self-defense. And because it was in self-defense, he felt like his murder of another person was more righteous, more justified than Cain's murder. And so he says, if God is going to avenge Cain sevenfold, he will avenge Lamech seventy and sevenfold. The thing that was wrong with that is God didn't say that. He was making the mistake that in the New Covenant, it says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And he was comparing himself with Cain and thinking that because Cain got by with murder and God didn't kill him or destroy him, well then surely God is going to avenge Lamech. And so they made this mistake and started comparing themselves. And because of it, they thought, well, this person got by with it. It not, must not be so bad. I can get by with it. We see this happening today. That, you know, back when I was a child, there were people who were homosexuals. I had a guy who was a homosexual in our church that tried to take me on a camping trip. And my mother was smart enough to go ask the pastor of the church, and he had a reputation. And he says, no, you do not want him going. And at the time, I, this is right after my father died. And I, you know, didn't get to do things like that. And I thought, well, this will be great. But praise God, they had enough wisdom not to let me go. So anyway, they were homosexuals, but he was hiding it. They didn't hold parades. They didn't brag about it. It was taboo. But then you have some rock stars come out, some movie stars, politicians. You start having parades where they celebrate it and say, God made me this way. And now people's opinion have changed because they compared themselves. Because God doesn't strike a homosexual dead. Well, therefore, they say it must not be so bad. And they see these people living in homosexuality who are on the covers of our magazines. They're rich. They're millionaires. Everybody's going to their concerts and stuff like this. And because of it, they've just changed their standard. Well, see, this is what was happening before the law was given. And so Lamech saw Cain get by with murder, and he thought, well, I can get by with murder. And so sin was escalating at such a pace. I said this before, but if God hadn't have done something to stop sin and stop people from living in sin. Satan was so perverting the human race that there would not have been a virgin left for Jesus to have come into this earth through. So God had to restrain sin. What did He do? He sent the law. And the law began to start releasing the fear of God into people. In Psalms chapter 36, verse 1, it says, The transgression of the wicked says within my heart that there is no fear of God before their eyes. People who are living in sin, and I'm not talking about people who just make a mistake and sin through error, but I'm talking about people who persist in sin, who follow sin, who delight in sin. It's because they don't have any fear of God 
in their heart. And the law brought the fear of God. Let me share some scriptures with you that will astound you about what the law was given for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now that's amazing. Most people think that God gave the law so that we could overcome sin. No, God actually gave the law to strengthen sin, not to strengthen you in your battle against sin, but to strengthen sin in its battle against you. Now that is something that most people have never thought of. They've never had that thought cross their mind. But this is exactly what it says. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Why would God give something that strengthened sin instead of strengthening us in our battle against sin? It was because sin had already killed us. You know, the Scripture says in James chapter 2, verse 10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. A lot of people think, well, nobody's perfect, so I, I can't live perfect, but if I just live better than this person... See, they're comparing themselves like Lamech did with Cain, and they think, if I live better than this person, I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. As long as I do that, everything will be okay. No, if you keep the whole law and yet miss it in one point, you become guilty of all. So the truth was that sin had already defeated us. But people were doing this comparing thing. And they were saying, well, I go to church, and I'm not perfect, and I know I do this wrong and this wrong, but I do this, and I believe that my good is going to outweigh my bad and that God's going to accept me. Did you know that that thinking will send you to hell? Good people do not go to heaven, and bad people do not go to hell. But rather, it's forgiven people. There are no people that are perfect in God's sight. You have to be forgiven. Forgiven people go to heaven, and people who refuse to accept the forgiveness are the ones that go to hell. It's not good people in heaven and bad people in hell. And see, people didn't understand this, and sin had already corrupted them. And because they were better than somebody else, they were under the deception that God owed them salvation. So what did God do? He gave something that made sin come alive in Romans chapter 7. I'll be dealing with that here in just a few moments. I'm going through and showing you a number of scriptures that show you what the law was sent to do. It wasn't sent to set you free. It was sent to show you that you're already defeated. Sin has already corrupted you. If this is God's standard... See, some people thought, well, here's God's standard and it's this high. And even though that take, that's a hurdle and I have to get over it, I could jump over that. And so they think, well, I can do this. I can meet these minimal requirements. God came along and says, you think that you could do enough to be accepted with me? Let me show you what my standard is. And he just raised the bar so high that you couldn't pole vault over it. You couldn't be thrown over it. It was impossible. And the purpose of that wasn't to somehow or another help you climb over all of these things. It was to show you how impossible of ever being accepted with God on basis of your goodness. And so that's the purpose of the law. It strengthened sin so that you could see that sin has already beaten me. Look at these scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in verse 6, it says, "...who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses... 
for the glory of His countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? This is contrasting the way God dealt with sin under the Old Covenant with the way He dealt with it under the New Covenant. And notice what it says here in verse 7. If the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones. What part of the law was written and engraven in stones? This is talking about the Ten Commandments. They were literally written with the finger of God on stones. And so the Ten Commandments, it was a ministration of death. Now, I could spend an hour right here putting some things into balance, and I'm not going to take time to do that. Again, I encourage you to get uh, other teaching series that I have that will explain this in more detail. I am not against the Ten Commandments. I am not against the law. Matter of fact, Paul said over in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law isn't made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and for the disobedient. And it goes on and lists all of these things. The purpose of the law was not to get you saved. It wasn't to produce salvation. But instead, it was to show you your sin so that you would recognize, God, if this is what you demand, then I can never make it on my own. Oh, God, have mercy on me. The purpose of the law was to drive you to the end of yourself so that you would cry out to God for salvation. And then once that has come and once you get born again, the law isn't for you. You don't try and keep all of the things of the law, but now you have God living on the inside of you and you live holier accidentally than you ever did on purpose before. But before you come to the Lord, there is a purpose for the law, and it's to show people their sin, and that's what this is talking about. It was a ministration of death. And then in the next verse down here, in verse 9, it says, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the, the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And so here it calls it a ministration of death and then a ministration of condemnation. You know, the Bible says Jesus came to give us life, not death. Death is always characterized as associated with before we get born again. It's what the devil comes to do. John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life. So life is associated with Jesus. Death is associated with the old man, with the devil. Condemnation, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so death, condemnation is associated with sin and with Satan. But freedom and liberty, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. So we see that the Old Testament law wasn't given to set you free, but rather to amplify your sin and let you see how exceedingly sinful you are so that you'd quit comparing yourself and think, just because I'm better than them, God's going to accept me. No, the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And it means any sin. Again, James chapter 2, verse 10 says that whosoever keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point becomes guilty of all. So you may not be as great a sinner as somebody else, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? The wages of sin is death. One sin, any sin, would cause you to be separated from God for eternity. 
And since that was true and people were comparing themselves and thinking, well, I'm better than this person, certainly God's going to accept me. God gave the law to amplify, to strengthen that sin, to produce death, to produce condemnation so that you would turn from trying to save yourself through your own good works and instead you would cry out to God for salvation. That's the purpose of the law. And if you use the law for that purpose, well, then it's good. But if you use the law to try and become right with God by keeping all of the law, it's impossible. You can't do it. And a lot of people who will say, I believe you got to keep the law. They don't even understand what the law is. You know, it says this in Galatians chapter 3, those that want to keep the law, they don't understand what the law is saying. Did you know that there are scriptures in the Old Testament law that if you are going to be a priest, which all of us in the New Testament, it says in Peter that we are all now kings and priests of the Lord. Did you know that priests in the Old Testament, they couldn't have a mole anywhere on their body? They couldn't be stoop-shouldered. They had to have perfect posture. They couldn't have a flat nose. And on and on it goes. There was all of these things. Why did God give those things? Because the priest was symbolic of Jesus, and Jesus had to be perfect. He had to be a perfect sacrifice in order to atone for our sins. An imperfect person would have had to atone for their own sins. Jesus had to be God manifest in the flesh, bearing the sins of the world, and because of it, He had to be perfect. So therefore, the priest had to be perfect, and he couldn't have a mole, couldn't have a flat nose, couldn't be stoop-shouldered and things. Why did God say this? Was it because He wanted you to burn all of the moles off of your body because we are now kings and priests unto the Lord? So if you've got a mole, you've got to go get the moles burned off. You've got to put on some kind of a harness or something that'll make you stand up straight. No, God didn't give the law so that you could comply with it, but rather to show you that you are already missing it. You don't add up to the standard. Instead of coming to God and demanding justice, come and cry out for mercy. You know, the parable that Jesus gave in the New Testament of the publican and the Pharisee that went up to pray at the same time, and the Pharisee was promoting his own goodness and saying, Father, I thank you I'm not like other men, that I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and I do all of these things. I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here. So see, the Pharisee, he was living a relatively holy life, holier than probably most of the people watching this. But he was trusting in His holiness. But the publican over here, a person who was uh, a traitor to the Jews, he was working for the Romans and he was collecting more than the actual taxes that were due and he was pocketing the rest. The guy was a thief and a robber and a traitor to the nation. This man didn't even feel worthy to lift up his eyes unto heaven. He just smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that the publican, the person who called out for mercy, went home to his house justified, whereas the person who was living a much holier life, but because he trusted in his holiness, he went down to his house unjustified. See, this is what the law was given to do, was to take the religious Pharisees, all of the people who thought that they were better than everybody else, and the law just whittled you down to size. Praise the Lord. These truths about God are just awesome. You know, as I said, God is the most maligned person that has ever existed. And the sad fact is that His own church, religion, has often misrepresented Him. 
The things that I'm sharing on here are life-changing truths. They've changed my life and I've seen it touch the lives of tens of thousands of other people. So we're nearing the end of this series. Next week will be my last opportunity for you to watch this over television and get these materials. I encourage you to please go to the effort, listen to our announcer today, and please call or write and request these materials today. Today, Andrew's pleased to offer his highly anticipated series, Biblical Worldview, Foundational Truths. In this series, Andrew outlines the importance for every Christian believer to have a biblical worldview. I am really excited about this brand new product that we have entitled Biblical Worldview Foundation Truths. This has been years in the making and it's different than just my typical teaching in the sense that we have graphs, charts, quotes, all kinds of visuals to supplement this. And I tell you, my uh, media department just did a great job. I think that this is one of the most important things I've ever taught. Each of the 12 lessons in this series include a video, audio file, chapter lesson, and printable PDF wrapped in a single box set containing a workbook, audio USB, and a personal access code to the online videos. Each lesson is full of supporting facts, quotes, charts, and historic visuals. Through the online platform, you'll have lifetime access to all of the videos and digital workbooks on your computer or smart device. Biblical Worldview Foundational Truths is available for only $120. Go to awmi.net to order this valuable resource today for you or someone you love. Call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. I tell you, I'm excited. God is gonna do something special during these meetings. I am enjoying this conference so much, I literally cannot wipe the smile off my face. Seeing Andrew is great, and being able to meet him was awesome. He speaks into your life like no one I know. I mean, he makes the Word come alive. Andrew's teaching and the love that he has for God's Word and truth, it is the gospel truth. The reason I do what I do is twofold. First of all, God just transformed my life. And it's just like the guy that the Lord told him, he says, don't go tell anybody about what's happened to your daughter. And he, man, couldn't keep it quiet. When you get God touching you, you just want to tell somebody. You got this good news you want to tell people. But beyond that, I believe God's got a specific call on my life. And I mean, God has encouraged me thousands of times. And on November the 4th, 2014, he woke me up at three o'clock in the morning and he said, this is the reason that I've raised you up is to change people's opinion of me. And as their opinion of me changes, then they in turn will go change their world. Our partners are essential to everything we do. 53% of the people who write us and contact us don't give a thing and we send them the material. And the reason that I give my tapes away is because back in the beginning of our ministry when we were in Seagoville, Texas, pastoring our first little church, I just made a promise. I said, God, if you ever show me something that could change another person's life, I'll never deny them access to it because of finances. The initial response that I get from people who come in contact with our ministry is that they just see God in a total different light than they've ever seen Him. That causes them 
to respond to God. The whole motive behind Charis is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where Paul said, Be strong in the grace that's in the Lord Jesus, and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. That's been my whole thrust. And when I started Karis Bible College, it was because I could see that it was a way of fulfilling those verses. Through Karis, we go deeper with people than I can do on television or through a book or through a CD or anything like that. And so what we hope to accomplish is to make disciples. And it's already happening. We've got people on every continent of the world that are reaching people and through them, we are making an impact that I could never do.